We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning. Good morning. It is a new month, uh, November 1st, which means for me, it is a brand new year because today is my birthday. And I'm so excited to share that with all of you. Um, I love November 1st. And uh, I, I always think that God just puts a little bit more pink in the sunrise and the sunset on November 1st as an acknowledgement that he's there and uh, he is not silent. And I used to always think that when I was younger and uh, I, I always love um, the sunrise and sunset and it's beautiful in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado where um, I used to live, where I grew up. Um, if you have ever seen Rocky Mountain High, it's just it's just gorgeous and the Rocky Mountains are fantastic. And now being here in the free state of Florida, um, I absolutely love what they call the cotton candy sunsets and with the palm trees, it's just gorgeous. And um, I just love how everywhere in the world, um, speaks to the truth of God and the beauty that God has invested in our creation. And if we think about it, even the capacity of human beings to be able to appreciate beauty and to see that really speaks to how we are created in God's image and uh, we can know our creator. Um, I mean, think about it. If we didn't have the capacity as human beings to see the light spectrum and to uh, taste all of the good things things that there are to eat, to have all of the senses that we do to experience and understand our world, we would never know any of the goodness of what he brings to our creation that's here for us to enjoy. And the Bible even talks about that, um, saying that man should enjoy the fruits of his labors. And uh, work is a very good thing. And, and that's why I'm here this morning, even though I don't consider this work, I actually consider this a ministry. And I'm so grateful um, that it's been almost a year now here with American Family Radio Network. Um, I started in January and looking forward to uh, a brand new year uh, today on my birthday. Um, it's my 39th year. So, um, or as my grandfather would have said, the uh, what would that have been if I can do my math right? The uh, 18th anniversary of my 21st birthday. <laughs> so I remember him telling my mom that years ago um, on one of her birthdays. I think it was her 40th that he sent her flowers and said that. Um, but anyways, I start a um, my new year um, over. I always reflect on 
uh, my life and where God is, has brought me to. And I'm so grateful um, to be able to speak my opinion and to be able to bring um, the truth of the biblical worldview, which isn't my opinion. It's the truth of God that we find in scripture and uh, to daily be talking about the things of God and truth. Because ultimately, when we talk about the civil government, when we talk about politics, um, as all of you all know, we have to come back to the biblical worldview foundation and speak about the things of God and truth. Otherwise, it's just our opinion. And it's it's uh, there's no measurable difference between right and wrong, good and evil, other than what we happen to believe or uh, what someone else in government may determine by force. And uh, we know that the truth is only found in the sovereign word of God. And, um, and, and I love looking at uh, politics and civil government, and then also the family government, the church government, from that biblical worldview lens. Because um, as I take stock of of my life and everything that God has brought me through in my life to this point and looking forward uh, to the future, all of the good things, all of the challenging things, all of the the trials, all of the the wins, the losses, everything in between. And I know all of you can can resonate with that because we have mountains and valleys in our lives. I can truly say that God has been faithful and. And, um, and I love the fact that I get to speak about him uh, daily, not just politics. And so even though it was such a blessing um, to be part of political campaigns from um, the presidents of the United States to, um, to statewide campaigns and other things over the last few years, um, it has been a huge blessing in my life to be able um, to return to truly my calling, which is to teach uh, the truth of the U.S. Constitution from a biblical worldview perspective. And um, and I was reflecting on that this morning as I was enjoying my coffee and um, my little dogs, Todd and Copper, who um, occasionally insert their opinion here on, on AFR, and you may hear them uh, barking in the background occasionally, um, but they are just doing so well, and uh, they're wrestling on the floor right now. They've um, they've just been so amazing. But I was, as I was... Uh, having my coffee this morning and um, reading my Bible and and enjoying the sunrise that's just a little bit more pink today. Um, I was thinking about how much I appreciate all of you and our AFR family and the encouragement that so many of you send me every day um, to talk about the things of God and the biblical worldview, uh, because that is what is the most important. Because if we don't have God at the center, then really, what is the rest about? Um, Then if, and think about this, if we had to endure all of the challenges of life without knowing the Lord, I can't imagine how difficult and discouraging um, and hopeless that would truly be. Um, but but with the knowledge of our Lord and Savior and knowing that we will spend eternity with Christ, that gives us a peace that passes all understanding. It gives us hope for the future. And truly, we can say that um, our life's work is not our own. It is ultimately for the good of God and uh, for everything that he has blessed us with. And um, and I posted this on social media yesterday because you know how, how Facebook, for those of you who are, who are still on social media, um, I am kind of fortunately, unfortunately, um, but you know how Facebook will send you memories. And yesterday on the eve of my birthday... Um, and that is Copper, who is saying he's very excited for my birthday. <laughs> um, Facebook sent me this 
this memory uh, from almost 10 years ago. And so I posted this yesterday. I said, I wrote this on the eve of my birthday almost 10 years ago, which is crazy. And it is still true on the eve of my birthday today. So this is what I wrote 10 years ago. It is good to take stock of life every once in a while, and particularly as one's birthday approaches, and look back on everything that God has done this year. I could attribute a lot of this past year to my own successes or failures, but the truth is that neither my successes nor my failures are really mine. It is all part of God's working in my life, teaching me things, bringing me closer to him, and actually using me to, hopefully, impact the culture and people around me. This is what it means to give all glory to God. What a wonderful relief it is not to have frustration and failures. His sovereignty and perfect will covers me. And we can repent also for for our failures. Uh, But what a wonderful truth it is to not take pride in our successes either. His sovereignty and perfect will guides me and makes my path straight. Each year, I think, wow, I am not the same person I was last year. And yet every year, God still shows me more of who he is and refines me. So livestock going into this next year, and this this I wrote, remember, almost 10 years ago. uh, But livestock going into this next year, I am thankful for the life he has given me in all its successes and failures. And I have more joy now than ever before because of his love and perfect will. Bring on more life to live with God and with the amazing people he has seen fit to place in my life to encourage me along the way. And for this year, that includes you, my AFR family. And um, I love, I love this hymn. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world he gave us his son, who yielded his life, our redemption to win, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. O come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath done. O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done, and great are rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. And we have been talking a lot about eschatology and the end times um, through the last few weeks, especially with everything that's going on in Israel. Um, and this hymn, I mean, how how wonderful and theological that promise. And I personally, I love hymns. Um, there are so many great songs that we listen to um, here on AFR and our worship channel on, um, you know, other, other stations and, uh, don't go to any other stations, of course, but, um, but there's so many, you know, gr- they're great worship songs, but I truly love the hymns that just speak of the depth of the promise of the hope that we have in Jesus. And, and isn't it so wonderful that as we're seeing what's going on in our world today, as we think about the past, but we look forward to the future, we think of all the lessons God has taught us, but we look forward to becoming perfected daily in the image of Christ and pursuing the things of God, we truly can say that he's done great things. He's taught us great things. He is always faithful and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son, but purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. That's the end of the Christian. That's the end goal. Um, and it's actually the beginning of eternity, right? There is no end um, to our relationship with Christ. We will just have our beginning of eternity when we are finally with him. But that is 
the goal of our lives um, is to rejoice through Jesus the Son. And, um, and and it's just, it's a wonderful promise. And as we step back from all of life's everything, I always love um, the moments in our lives, whether it's birthdays, it's um, Christmas at the end of the year, it's New Year's where everybody sets New Year's resolutions, all of those things, those are milestones. And um, in the Old Testament, um, God had the Old Testament um, Israelites build monuments after certain significant moments um, that he taught them uh, as as a nation or he brought them through something so that they would look back and remember. And for future generations who didn't live that experience, they would ask and the elders could teach the younger what God had done for them. And I love that as a reminder and an encouragement, I think, um, to us to have those milestones in our lives where we stop and we reflect on what God has done in our lives. And even for those who maybe weren't our friends at the time, um, we can say, yeah, let me tell you about my past. Even if it was something that was hard that God brought you through. I think of my friend, Abby Johnson, um, who went through two of her own abortions and is uh, is is sold out to the Lord now, is completely pro-life, and she advocates for that. She talks about her very painful past because she talks about how God's forgiveness covers everything and how his love has transformed her life. And we can build those moments in our lives and consider those milestones. And I like to take um, the day of, of birthdays, of, of Christmases, of holidays, um, to reflect on everything that God has done for me in my life, um, for my family, because he truly has been faithful. And, you know, anyone can point to anything and say, why would God allow, you know, evil or difficulty um, in our lives? And it's because we live in a fallen world and there is sin in the world. And as Pastor John MacArthur always says, um, I am so tired of sin and, and I completely agree. I'm tired of my own sin and I'm tired of sin perpetuated um, through whether it's civil actors or um, families that are, uh, th- that are having difficulties or whatever it is. Um, sin will be here until we, until Christ returns or he calls us home and on that day, um, if we, if, if the rapture does not happen before uh, we die and we, we then uh, meet our Lord and Savior, um, when we are called home, it'll be a wonderful day. And that's what we look forward to with hope and joy. And never, ever, ever forget that. Because even in the midst of all of the daily everything that we talk about in terms of politics and political analysis and things going on in foreign policy and, and all of these things, we can never look at that just in a vacuum instead of looking at it in terms of the whole and the truth of the whole and in context is that we have hope and we have the love of our Lord and hope is the patient expectation that God will fulfill all of his promises to us. And one of the greatest promises is that he will always love us, he will never forsake us, and he will be faithful. So grasp on to that promise as we look forward to a new year. I'm starting my new year today, but I know a lot of you will start it uh, January 1st, and we still have the holidays coming up, which is a great time to reflect on the truth of God and his wonderful gift, Christ his son. So we'll be back with more right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning.
We want to welcome a new sponsor to American Family Radio, and I hope you give them your full support, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. If you're like most of us, you're feeling the strain of rising healthcare costs. Well, good news, Christian Healthcare Ministries may be the answer you're looking for. CHM is an affordable, faith-based option to traditional healthcare that provides members the freedom to choose doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods since they are not insurance. Can you say freedom? CHM is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry and has been around for over 40 years, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. They are tried and true and have members in all 50 states and around the world and have covered billions in medical bills. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. Make the switch today by visiting chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And President Biden has signed an executive order that will require AI or artificial intelligence companies to, quote, address algorithmic discrimination and ensure that AI advances equity. So Chris Rufo uh, tweeted They want to embed the principles of CRT and DEI into every aspect of artificial intelligence. And you can go on whitehouse.gov and find that full fact sheet that talks about advancing equity and civil rights. Um, It says on there, irresponsible uses of AI can lead to and deepen discrimination, bias, and other abuses in justice, healthcare, and housing. The Biden-Harris administration has already taken action by publishing the blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights and issuing issuing an executive order directing agencies to combat algorithmic discrimination while enforcing existing authorities to protect people's rights and safety. So uh, this is very alarming, quite frankly, and the fact that they are trying to uh, embed the principles of CRT and DEI into every aspect of AI policy. So joining me now to talk about this and more is our good friend Jake Denton, who is part of the Heritage Foundation in Tech Policy. So Jake, um, how did you read this executive order and uh, the concerns that Chris Rufo, um, our friend here in Florida, is talking about? Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, Chris highlighted a very particular section of the executive order on the fact sheet that was focused entirely on that kind of DEI principle uh, lingo that they always tout. But when you read the entirety of the bill, which includes sections on national security and, uh, you know, labeling for deep fake media, things of that nature, that type of language is present throughout the entire thing. And so I think right now a lot of people are focused on how it applies particularly to that civil rights section, uh, but it actually has broader implications throughout the entire order. Uh, in particular, the national security section has a provision on red teaming, uh, which is a tactic used by developers to essentially weed out any vulnerabilities of the system. But the definition for red teaming in this executive order places a great deal of emphasis on eliminating harmful responses or discriminatory outputs by these models. And so even where the CEO intended to protect our national security, it's focused on that social justice agenda. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't really buy that uh, Biden is is really concerned about national security and all of this. I mean, it seems like it's just a pretext to continue to codify and enforce CRT and DEI in ways that Congress has not authorized. And so um, now with a new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, who I think is very concerned about um, some of these issues like um, CRT and DEI, which are fundamentally antithetical to a conservative and biblically based worldview, um, Congress could challenge some of these things. Um, So is there any action that um, Heritage Foundation supports or um, that the the wider conservative base should support that Congress uh, can take to ensure that um, this type of policy doesn't have effect? Yeah, well, it's something that you and I have talked about on this show before, but explainability, which is a kind of computer science 101 level approach to artificial intelligence, uh, really eliminates any potential for this stuff to be hidden in the models, which is what we're really worried about right now. Honestly, if you're embedding uh, kind of the DEI agenda currently in the models, we wouldn't even be able to tell. You know, you might sense it with the output it gives you, but you can't follow the paper trail to determine what's influencing the decision. And so passing explainability legislation will kind of lift that black box off the model and allow for you to go in and say, oh, that you know, response from the model came from this one paper that's from you know, this radical leftist or uh, an extremist on the other side of the aisle. And so you know, actually being able to audit these things is the very foundation of eliminating that other type of bias that they're trying to put in. And I'm speaking with Jake Denton, who is in tech policy for the Heritage Foundation and um, really uh, brilliant on a lot of these tech issues, including AI. And um, and I think for the average person, when we're concerned um, as a conservative about um, DEI and CRT in artificial intelligence policy, uh, what can that really mean? Because I, I think that that seems like more of an esoteric concept to a lot of people. But what are we really talking about in terms of the dangers of Biden's policies? Well, I think that's kind of the big problem we have right now is it's really tough to say what this would look like if it was built on that foundation. You know, if you look 10 years into the future, reading this executive order, it's really hard to tell what it even means, because most of the DEI words aren't really defined. You know, what is an equitable AI system? Not even the executive order can tell you, uh, which kind of raises an enforcement question. Obviously, if you can't define it, how are you going to enforce it? But, um, you know, let's say that the Silicon Valley companies really take this to heart and try and make them as equitable and as inclusive as possible. Uh, This tech is already, you know, all over your life, but it's going to increasingly find itself into every nook and cranny of your day-to-day experience. And so something as simple as a hiring uh, exercise, right, where you're applying for a new job and equitable AI is the first uh, person to vet your resume. If this system is, you know, weighing particular things such as race in a way that it maybe shouldn't, but, you know, we've allowed these Silicon Valley companies to make them as equitable as possible. And, you know, maybe they put a disparate impact multiple in there that only factors in race. Uh, maybe your resume just doesn't make it across the board because, you know, you're not a, a target race or you went to a university that they just don't like so much. It's that type of stuff that seems very sci-fi and far away, but is actually, you know, in the immediate short term that we're going to have to deal with very quickly. Yeah, and and that is really scary, especially when we talk about um, how it impacts our 
our daily lives and how it will impact uh, policy. And we've talked before, Jake Denton, um, about some of the national security issues. And um, and I've had a few guests um, on the show as well that have talked about how um, artificial intelligence can be used um, in terms of either helping uh, stop where we're on the brink of World War III or actually um, promote and try to get us there. Um, What should we be concerned about that uh, Biden isn't really addressing when it comes to artificial intelligence? Because you you tweeted this yesterday, and I thought it was um, really well said, that our country's approach to AI governance has been ineffective and unserious. If you're wondering why, it's because our leaders are crafting a policy based on tech depicted in a mediocre Tom Cruise movie. And you cite to an AP uh, piece that talks about um, Biden watching Mission Impossible from Camp David. And you say, uh, we are not governed by serious people. I think that's 100% accurate. Yeah, you know, I think the, the real issue here is most of the basis for our leaders across the board, not just Biden, is grounded in kind of the sci-fi depiction of artificial intelligence. It's not based in reality. And so we're not really getting a real sense of the threat because they're just, you know, chasing the shiny object that's depicted in a movie like that. Uh, You know, the killer robots are real. That could be a thing. Uh, But it's not the most important thing that we have to worry about. Uh, A lot of people have been concerned over the ability of these chat-based systems to maybe teach you how to make a dirty bomb or teach you how to execute a shooting in a more efficient manner. Um, Those are all things that you could potentially jailbreak these models or even get them in their kind of off-the-shelf capacity to uh, instruct you on how to do. And we're barely even scratching the surface of legislation or an EO to uh, force a company to eliminate that from the model. Um, And so when you think about all of the things this technology could be used for, there's really no shortage of things we should be worried about. Uh, but they're not getting any play because, you know, our leaders just can't even wrap their heads around it, which kind of just highlights a bigger problem where, um, you know, these issues we're encountering are going to require a younger leadership class that has experience in this space. And uh, we don't have that right now. Yeah, that's really well said. Uh, Jake Denton from the Heritage Foundation in Tech Policy. Um, you know, that is something that we're continuing to be concerned about in, in terms of you know watching some of these uh, congressional hearings when you have members that, you know, clearly haven't even used what, what I would term as, as more antiquated social media, you know, things that have been around for um, the last, you know, 15 or 20 years, like Facebook, for example, um, that some of these members at least should be familiar with. Um, and they're not even with some of those more basic tools, uh, much less something like chat GPT or um, some of these other more newer um, items that are that have been um, just now kind of coming into the, the more social sense and, and are more widespread in terms of usage. Um, so in terms of the, the new Republican leadership, um, what is your expectation in terms of addressing some of these issues now that the House is uh, back to work. And we do have a new speaker who I'm frankly um, very excited about. I think Mike Johnson will do a great job. Um, But do we expect some of the artificial intelligence issues to continue to be addressed um, or or possibly better under a new speaker? Or does this really, um, does the speakership not really impact that much at all? Yeah, well, in the first stage of you know, this Congress with uh, Speaker McCarthy, tech issues were stagnant. We really didn't see much movement at all on tech issues. There were no shortage of great congressional hearings with, you know, jaw-dropping moments of revelation, uh, but didn't result in a single move for legislation. And so there are a ton of bills on the sidelines right now that just haven't had their moment on the floor. 
And so it's about bringing those bills to the floor. I think it's kind of lost on a lot of the American people, but the legwork is done. You know, Congress has written all these bills. They've been marked up. They've been, uh, you know, debated, and we just don't vote on them. And so it's really about just pushing them over the finish line. Uh, You think about something as foundational as the Open Apps Market Act, which essentially allows for you to download another app store other than Apple's app store on your phone. Uh, That bill has been universally, you know, supported for quite some time, and it's just, like, stagnant, dead on arrival. No one's moving it. Um, so it's about bringing those back to the forefront and pushing them through uh, because it's what will really improve the lives of the American people. We're increasingly dependent upon this tech, and we have no laws governing it. So it's about just getting up to speed. Yeah, and, and I hope that uh, that with Speaker Johnson's new priorities, we will see um, a lot more invested into um, AI policy and not just, you know, I think you're really wise to highlight not just these uh, kind of you know, clips and firebrand moments in congressional hearings. This isn't just um, for TV. The purpose of congressional hearings is to advance legislation that that actually helps uh, law and policy in the country, not just to have this kind of viral uh, moment on social media or mainstream media. So hopefully um, we will get some very good um, and and well-founded legislation out of this. But uh, Jake Denton from Heritage Foundation, really appreciate your time today. Uh, thanks so much. You can follow him at Real J. Denton, and you can follow the Heritage Foundation at Heritage. And um, speaking about Mike Johnson, um, I had spoken with Representative Chip Roy yesterday on the program. If you missed that, definitely go back and listen to that segment. Um, He's always so great in terms of articulation of um, the biblical worldview and why uh, God is the basis of our civil government, and that's true from uh, the founding. And one of the things that um, that Chip Roy mentioned that we didn't have time to get into that I wanted to make sure we highlight today um, is is to pray for Speaker Mike Johnson because um, as Chip Roy mentioned, there was a um, a website from Mike Johnson's wife Kelly who is a biblical counselor um, similar to to my mom. Uh, most of you know my mom is a biblical counselor as well. And the Huffington Post um, really did this terrible attack piece on her um, that that basically said that she was comparing uh, homosexuality to bestiality and incest. Um, And this is the statement that was actually on the website. It simply said, we believe that the Bible teaches that any form of sexual immorality, such as adultery, fornication, homosexuality, bisexual conduct, bestiality, incest, pornography, or any attempt to change one's sex or disagreement with one's biological sex is sinful and offensive to God. That That's the statement from the website, right? And that is accurate according to the Bible. Now, the left may not like that. Um, they may not agree with that. And okay, they have a right in this country to disagree with truth. Uh, but that is accurate that they believe it and that the Bible teaches it. And that's what Speaker Johnson's uh, wife, Kelly's website says. And yet the Huffington Post said that uh, she was comparing all of these types of sexual immorality together. But the statement was just providing examples of any form of sexual immorality, not comparing or equating them. And so what is Huffington Post's problem with Christian counseling Christians according to our mutual faith. Well, of course, they are going to attack Mike Johnson and his family because they hate the fact that an outspoken, faithful, committed, conservative Christian 
is now second in line to the presidency. They cannot stand that. And we played that clip from Jen Psaki uh, yesterday, and I responded to it. And again, go back and listen to that if you missed yesterday's program. But we need to be praying for Speaker Mike Johnson and also for his family, his wife and his children, um, his staff in his office, because they are already experiencing the brunt of and the full force of an evil leftist mentality that is completely secular and antithetical to the biblical worldview. And they are not coming at him attacking his policy, his leadership, his experience um, as an attorney, you know, anything like that. They are attacking his Christian faith. And that's what they do best. They are going to just try to destroy his credibility, his reputation, and uh, everything else that they can. They're going to try to discourage and demoralize him. And so we need to be praying daily for not only all of our leaders, and that includes even the ones that we disagree with, like uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, for example. Um, I certainly disagree with their their policies. Uh, We should be praying for all of those in leadership. The Bible calls us to do that. But I would ask all of you to join me in praying daily for Speaker Mike Johnson, his wife Kelly, and their family as they are dealing with this onslaught of attacks. Um, and, and the one thing that, um, that I disagree with personally that, um, that Kelly did was that this website was then taken down after Huffington Post wrote this article. Um, there was nothing wrong with it. She's not an elected office. So I don't know why that decision was made, but I think, um, I think that evidences that they are already feeling Uh, the weight of those attacks. So we need to be praying. I know that Speaker Johnson will stand firm in his Christian faith, but we need to, as the body of Christ, continue to lift them up in prayer and to pray that he would have the strength and the courage and that as Psalm 91 says, God would send his angels concerning Mike Johnson so that he can be an effective Christian leader for the truth of the gospel of Christ on Capitol Hill. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. I'd like to take a minute to have a heart-to-heart with you. If you're able, place your hand over your heart. Can you feel it? My strong heartbeat reminds me that I'm alive. See, it's the same for an unborn baby. Their heart begins to form at conception and at just three weeks is already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on an ultrasound. That's where Preborn steps in, rescuing 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing a mother with a free ultrasound and allowing her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. By six weeks, eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her thumb. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. For just $28, you could be the difference between the life or death of a baby. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And as another um, mass shooting has taken place in Maine and Uh, We had talked about that uh, when that occurred and that just absolute 
discussing active violence. Um, there is now, of course, predictably, another call for national confiscation of guns. And as our good friend Jim Nels writes in The Daily Wire under the headline, here comes the next gun grab, it comes from the same tired liberal playbook. Blame law-abiding gun owners for the crimes of a psychopath. Uh, really well said. So Jim Nels uh, joins us now. And uh, Jim, I think this is really well said, and it was very predictable and tired and frustrating to see how the left um, immediately blamed law-abiding gun owners when clearly there was so much more going on. We learned after the fact about the main shooter, and I'm not going to say his name on air. Um, I don't want to give him any sort of notoriety, but um, but it was really it, predictably frustrating to see them go after uh, Maine Senator Susan Collins to say that somehow this would have been prevented if she had voted for um, a, a stricter control over AR-15s. And yet um, it's interesting to me that now this story has basically disappeared once we learned about all of the mental health issues of this deranged individual that went on the shooting spree. So why can't we talk about mental health? Why is the left always so focused just on gun grabbing from law-abiding citizens? because it doesn't fit the narrative, right? The narrative is that white supremacists who want to cling to their guns and their religion want to kill everybody, and the only way to stop them is to pass more gun laws and to confiscate guns. And when it switches to someone having mental disabilities, or not disabilities, but um, mental troubles, they stop immediately because then we have to examine the healthcare system and we have to examine why the laws that were in place, which you may or may not agree with uh, about gun control, were not enforced. This person was known to both local law authorities as well as the military. He was reported by his family for hearing voices, being depressed, and being um, you know, somewhat aggressive towards other people. Their, Maine has a yellow gun law, which basically says you can have someone's gun taken away from them without a trial. I don't agree with the law, but it's there. And no one did anything. We saw the same thing in Buffalo. We saw the same thing in Ohio. And we see it in places, too. Like, if you remember back uh, earlier in the year at Michigan State University, the person that did that shooting there should never have been allowed to have a gun. But a Soros-backed prosecutor did a plea deal with this person. And instead of charging him with a felony, charged him with a misdemeanor and put him on probation. Yeah, and, and this is what's so frustrating is that there are all of the left that, that call for all of the red flag laws or yellow flag laws even, and uh, and then yet on the people that they could genuinely have been used on in terms of you know some of these people that, that shouldn't have access to firearms, it seems like they're never used, and we always go back and find out more after the fact, and oh, there were signs, there were manifestos, there were pictures, there were social media postings, and none of that ever changes uh, anything or makes a difference, but yet the left continues to push for organizations like uh, the NRA, for example, uh, to be disbanded, and that that is somehow contributing to uh, the rise in gun violence in America, and yet they, they just can't connect the dots. And I think you're completely right, Jim Nels, that it just doesn't fit their narrative because their ultimate goal is not actually a safer, more secure America. It's to simply get rid of the right to keep and bear arms. And so what is the solution that you talk about in uh, your opinion piece here in The Daily Wire? Yeah, in an almost tongue-in-cheek manner, I say I want Congress to pass two common-sense gun laws. One is I want gun-free zones eliminated. 
if the bad guy with the gun doesn't know if the person next to him or her is a good guy with the gun, less likely to, to do the shooting and definitely less likely to kill large numbers of people and wound large numbers of people. You're never going to be able to stop a person from pulling out a gun and taking the first shot. However, you can limit the amount of damage that that person can do if other people are allowed to have guns. And if I was going to shoot up some people, I definitely want to go to a gun-free zone because I know that there's no one there who can shoot back. The second thing that I would love to see is universal recognition of concealed carry. Why is it that I have to go through 20 hours of training in Illinois to get a concealed carry license, but then I can't carry that same weapon in California or, say, New York because they have different laws when it comes to concealed carry? It's ridiculous. It's something that should be done away with. We don't make people take driver's tests in every state they drive in. Why should you have to go through this to do concealed carry with a weapon that you're legally licensed to carry? Yeah, that's a really great point as well. And um, you know, the the right to to drive and to to travel, you know, comes from the right to travel. Uh, but you know, you still have to go through that licensing procedure. And there's you know, there are a lot of constitutional arguments on some of those issues. But th- um, that is is not a fundamental guarantee textually enumerated in the Constitution as the Second Amendment protects the right. Uh, to keep and bear arms. And and it's very obvious um, in the Constitution, even though the left wants to parse it into oblivion and say that, um, you know, it only is for militias and, you know, th- th- this analysis and, and, and they want to um, try to overanalyze it um, to, to pervert it really into something um, that it's not. This right to keep and bear arms should be universal and um, Representative Thomas Massey has been one of uh, the best advocates for some of uh, those types of bills that would go through Congress for um, a universal uh, concealed carry and and this right. And I think you're wise, Jim, to analogize it to a driver's license or, you know, even to passage. I mean, I don't have to get a passport to go from, you know, Florida <laughs> into another state. I mean, that we're not the European Union even, much less, um, you know, nation states. And even though we have state sovereignty, we still are the United States. And so the same rights that I enjoy in the free state of Florida that I enjoyed in Colorado, I should be able, be able to enjoy Um, in any state in the union. And so, you know, why is this so complicated for conservatives to articulate in in the midst of, you know, some of these these national instances um, when the left, it seems like always has the upper hand in terms of arguing for gun grabbing and and it just seems like, you know, conservatives are, are not making a lot of headway on this issue. No, we're not. And I think the, part of the problem is that the left has the media and the media is leftist as well. So they love to jump on these stories and talk about the need to control and ban guns, even though the interests to their um, studios are governed by people who have guns just to protect them. But, you know, the concerns we're, we're in a the crisis right now. We can barely elect a speaker of the House, let alone get together to put forward something that if you look at the statistics, Half the, half the country, 40% of the country wouldn't support you on because they, they think we already have too many guns in this country because we don't own the narrative. We need to get out there and own the narrative. We need to be talking about the, the, the drugs that these people are on when they commit these crimes, what uh, psycho-altering drugs were they on, uh, prescription medications, if you will. And we need to control the narrative on, on these and talk about the real reason that these things happen, and it's because people make a choice. 
when I got back from um, my trip last week, I took all my guns out of the safe, put them onto the table, and gave them free permission to go and kill anyone they wanted to. Not a single one took me up on the offer, right? You need someone behind it to pull the trigger, and that's the narrative that gets lost. Yeah, and, and I saw a, um, a, it was a meme or a post on social media um, one time of a student who was talking to a teacher and said, well, I didn't fail my exam. It was the pencil. You know, and, and it was exactly. great because, because you know, it's not the instrument, it's the user. And you can either use tools for an intended purpose, um, pr- protection, or in the instance of a pencil, you know, to take your test well, or you can use it um, in an evil way, like how we see some of these deranged individuals that use uh, guns for a vile, immoral, evil purpose. Um, but that doesn't mean that then everyone's rights should be foreclosed ahead of time when they've done nothing. And this is why due process um, in the United States matters, that we don't foreclose anyone's individual rights, including liberty, just because some other individual goes out and does something wrong. We have individual personal responsibility. But I really think, Jim Nels, that um, part of the reason that the left doesn't want to address mental health issues is because that necessarily would require talking about the mental health issues in the LGBTQ community and seeing how much of mental health really uh, goes into a lot of this um, derangement over um, sexual dysphoria and you know and a lot of these these people who have a lot of um, of, of mental health issues when they're they're part of these communities, and so that would necessarily, I think, spill over into some of the um, the categories of persons that the left really wants to protect. So they're much more willing to go after the conservatives than they are to address a genuine problem in society because it would affect their own voting base. You're absolutely right, Jen. I couldn't say it better. Well, and. Um, you know, you, you can expound on that, but I think that the um, the Sorry. the issue. No, that's okay. Um, so, the, but the issue with I mean, I should have asked a question, but um, but the issue I think with mental health in terms of genuinely addressing that, um, Congress and even some of the Republicans, it's like they're afraid to go after these issues because they think that then they'll be called hateful, you know, racist bigots, blah, 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 um, you know, whatever. And, and those terms are so meaningless anymore because the left just uses them prolifically against their opponents. But um, in in terms of what we could do on on mental health or at least protecting the fundamental basic right to keep and bear arms, um, where do you think the Republican caucus needs to go from here while we still have the majority? Well, first and foremost, they, they should not vote on any gun restrictions at all. I don't want to hear another Republican say it's time for someone to do something. We need more common sense uh, gun control. That's ridiculous. Like we talked about earlier in the, in the segment, let's enforce the laws that are on the books. Number two, we need to have a national conversation that needs to be done maybe by the speaker, by somebody who says, it's time to stop blaming the utensil that was used and start looking at why people are doing these things. And it's going to take societal adjustments, right? We need more parents, you know, families with fathers in the homes to teach their children the difference between right and wrong and have them grow up with both a mother and a father. We need to address these mental health issues and say, hey, if, you know, we, we, we need to get people the help that they need. And let's talk about that as, as a nation, not just talk about the fact that if you question somebody about what they are, and the mental health issues associated with that, that doesn't make you anything other than a concerned citizen. Right, right, exactly. And, 
You know, it's really um, it's really discouraging and I think frustrating to see how um, even some Republicans, I mean, even like in my former home state of Colorado, some Republicans were all for red flag laws because they thought, well, this is a good compromise. And some compromises, when they're not constitutional, um, are not good compromises. And we all know that in policy, sometimes, you know, you do need to um, to make some compromises to incrementally get, you know, to where you want the policy goals to be. We can't be absolutist on that. Otherwise, you know, we're not going to ever um, achieve any uh, good and conservative policy. Um, and, and so, you know, things like, for example, heartbeat bills. While that's not an, an absolute in terms of full restriction of abortion, which I would love from the moment of conception, um, that would be the truth. I would much rather have a heartbeat bill than nothing, than no restrictions on exactly. abortions, right? Yeah. So so we and, have to be realistic. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, those, you brought up the Colorado red flag laws and the red flag laws in general. I agree with you. I, I don't think that they're constitutional because let's say that you and I were, were dating, right? You know, I'd, I'd be so lucky. But we have, a, we have an argument. You go to the police and say, my boyfriend had a, is, is mentally deranged and he has guns. You need to go take them away. The police can do that without a trial, without you seeing a judge, or without you even being evaluated by a mental health professional. So there is a, a sinister aspect to those laws because they can be used as a form of retribution when people have arguments or disagreements with one another. Yeah, and, and Colorado, um, I mean, people should know in terms of uh, the law there, I mean, there is, for example, uh, a mandatory arrest law that if there is, um, if the police are called and they're on suspicion of any sort of um, domestic dispute, um, then there is, somebody is getting arrested. And it is, uh, in my view, an overuse of um, the justice system and it doesn't give the discretion to law enforcement to come and see is there really a problem or did something just kind of get heated and out of hand um, and, and, and that's that's problematic anyway. But then when you're talking about red flag laws, I have never seen a red flag law that I think is constitutional for that exact reason that you mentioned, Jim Nels, which is that it will foreclose an individual's right um, before due process and just on the basis of one person who could have any kind of sinister uh, motivation or just retribution. And then it also generally, red flag laws require that individual to bear the burden of proof to show that they should be able to have their rights back. And so it turns gun rights into mere privileges that an arbitrary judicial officer who t they tend to be a little bit more cautious and rightly so because they're worried okay if i give this person their their gun rights back and then something happens then you know i'm going to be in media as you know the judge that didn't make the right call and so they're over cautious and so we but we need to make sure as a country that we do not treat our own individuals as and our citizens as only having privileges that can be foreclosed at whim and arbitrarily, but to make sure that they are truly unalienable and fundamental and we have due process in this country. So Jim Nels, always really appreciate you joining. And his piece is in The Daily Wire and it's titled, Here Comes the Next Gun Grab. And we are out of time already for this episode of Jenna Ellis in the Morning. You can always reach me and my team jenna at afr.net make it a great day i know i will because it's my birthday today yay <laughs> all right i'll talk to you guys tomorrow
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.